understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Dave McWilliams podcast, the podcast that, as as you know, aims to make economics a little bit more comprehensible, digestible, and hopefully a little bit more enjoyable. This is a bonus episode brought to you by Square. Now, we're going to be talking about business, but we're going to talk about money, markets, payments, commerce, where it started, where it's going, where it's likely to be in a couple of years' time, because the internet and e-commerce has completely changed the way in which we all trade, in which we all settle trades, in which we all get paid and pay. So it's a fascinating tipping point, John. Yeah, it certainly has been. And it's been a kind of a a roller coaster for businesses over the last few years, like from COVID to e-commerce, and even the kind of rapid transition from cash to contactless. Everything. Everything, yeah. It's been wild. Okay, absolutely. So let's get into it. How are you doing there? This is the podcast, and we are coming from a place called Square Market, which is on 47 Grafton Street. It is a pop-up shop, John. This is We've really come up in the world. I'm really quite impressed. I'm just saying it's Captain America's yeah. on, on one side, you know, Butler's little coffee shop on the other. Lovely. The buskers, the whole yeah. thing. Grafton Street is a place that you and I spent many years. Many years. We used to get the old bus in and just trawl up and down. Yeah. Uh, looking, trying to look cool. Very, very unsuccessful. You know, it's a very funny thing because John and I are old enough to remember the Dandelion Market. Yeah. We didn't go to see you two at the Dandelion Market like everybody else in Ireland. Yeah. Did you ever claim that? Of course I've claimed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to. Yeah. No, but I mean, we didn't go, but we were old enough to know this bizarre street when there were cars on it. Well, I was going to say, there were cars and it was a two-way street. A two-way street. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, even yeah, a one-way yeah. street. And the 46A came down the street, yeah. which is kind of fine. You kind of got off at Switzer's. Yeah which is now Brown Thomas's. Yeah. This is, you know, say, Jason, you, this is just reminiscing. This is what we do all the time. It's, it keeps our adult brains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're losing it. We are losing it. We are losing it. Well, anyway, it is lovely. It's really, really lovely to be here this afternoon. Very auspicious day, John, because the UK have kind of settled on the new prime minister. Well, for now, anyway. For now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And as we were saying in the podcast this week, it's an extraordinary situation that that country finds itself in. I was saying last week that we, I was in the science gallery yeah, and walking around the science gallery and just given that sense of history and majesty and innovation and genius that yeah. the British used to have. Yeah, yeah. And, and now it's such a, it's an extraordinary shambles. And what it does, John, I think is gives you a sense of how essential it is to get a few decisions right every now and then. Yeah. We rarely get one right, but we get one or two right. <laughs> Well, we get them right, we get them we right. Get them right. No, but it's the idea that, you know, in economics, that decisions matter, individuals matter, politicians matter, going off on harebrained ideas like Brexit matter. Mm. Not necessarily because of what it does to the standing of the UK or the situation of the UK, but what it does is it focuses people's minds on the facts that not only can you get it wrong, but you're more likely to get it wrong. And the whole key of politics and economics is to pretend you're getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. And don't focus any attention on yourself. But but in long term wise, the UK it will turn around. It yeah, I think to. it will. Yeah, yeah, I it think it will. It because to. if you have that sort of history and that kind of innate innovation and stuff, it yeah. will come to the fore again. But politically, they need to kind of set the environment yeah. in the right way. No, they do. Set the tone. Well, I think business in the UK 
is surviving despite the government, mm. not because of. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And if you look at, for example, we're now, we're now uh, host with Square hosting us. If you look at online businesses, innovative businesses, the UK is still, despite all the nonsense, it is still the European leader in unicorns, in technology companies, in terms of Europe. Mm. It's still quite far ahead. So they have a hell of a lot going for them, but they just need to fix that bizarre zoo called Westminster. Yes. <laughs> and a zoo is really all you can describe yeah. it as. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And they need a big it's vision. It's a resetting is what yeah. we need. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. So we'll watch this space. We might we might actually talk about the UK next week and then we're done with it. I've yeah. had enough. Yeah, fair enough. We'll talk about something else. Fair enough. Tess, what is on the agenda today? Well, I, I was just, since we're here, I was thinking about, you mentioned it earlier, the dandelion market. And like I haven't been in town shopping or drinking in quite a while, but I do remember coming into the dandelion market with my mother and oh, I yes. was trying to be cool. Oh, I remember this actually. And, and, uh, I was wanted to buy a park cause I was a bit of a mod yeah. and I wanted to buy a parka and I brought my mother in with me, which was the wrong thing to do, but she was holding the money. So it was the only way I could do it. So, uh, she said, absolutely no way are you getting that filthy coat. And I went, I burst into tears. <laughs> I know, poor old John. John, had a, John had a, terrible. You should have started with a clash badge and gone progressively I know, upwards. I know. But it, I, I, was trying, but I was trying to haggle with the guy to get the price down the coat. So maybe the mother would go with it. But she was, it was a, it was a, a flat no from her. But I was never a good haggler. That no, was you were thing. never a good haggler, which is a very strange. You've got this far in life without haggling. But I mean, haggling is what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. Right? We're going to talk about markets. We're going to talk about haggling. We're going to talk about payments. We're going to talk about the future of payments. We're going to talk about transparency. We're going to talk about the whole way the world of commerce has changed. Because, it's you know, we're talking about something that in our lifetime is part of our memory. Mm. There are people listening to this podcast and they are thinking... The dandelion market, yeah. buses on Graft Street, haggling, cash, cash, yeah, yeah, going yeah. to pay with cash, going to a place, having to go to a place. Because what made the dandelion market interesting for Dubliners was the shops there bought stuff into Ireland you couldn't get anywhere else. That was it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So therefore people went there because they couldn't find it. Now you can find everything everywhere, not just shops, you get restaurants, bars, yeah. the whole thing. So it's a complete change in the, in the way we look at the world. But the history. Yeah, take us back. I'll take it back. I'll take it back. One of the things that we like doing on, on the show, John, as you've always appreciated, is going back to history. And it's funny when you talk about economics, people always tend to think of economics as something reasonably modern, mm. you know, and payment something reasonably modern. And, you know, but in actual fact, trading, the essence of the payment system and money are amongst the oldest concepts in economics, but not in economics, in the history of humanity. So right. I will give you one thing. In Congo, a bone was found, a femur, the femur of a baboon, yeah. was found in 1851. It is thought that that was the very first blockchain. You know all the, all the sort of crypto bros go on about blockchain, right? Yeah. As if it's new, yeah. right? It's incredibly old concept. So the idea was, it's, they think it's about 19,000 years old. 19,000 years ago, somebody on the Congo River was making a market like Square are doing mm. now. And in order to clear the trades, right, in order to say who owes what to who, what they got was a baboon's femur and they'd have little chips, little notches. It was like the ledger. That was exactly the ledger, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you imagine, you know, we're talking about stuff now as if it's modern. This is all very, very ancient. So what basically happened, whatever they were trading, we don't know what they were trading, nor do we know what they were actually using for money. So we don't know what little tokens are, if they were 
ever using tokens, right? Mm. What we do know is that these people, and I mean, we're talking considerable amounts of time before we get the first records of money, right? We're talking about 15,000 years before the first records of yeah. money. In Africa, we're trading with each other. They were assessing the trade. They were figuring out who owns what to whom. And then they were actually clearing the trade. And the notches on the bone are thought to be the day the trade is cleared. So I owe Mick something, Mick owes Jim something, Jim owes Mary something, Mary owes something. And at the end of the day, we clear the whole trade. Right. So you know the way the blockchain now? Yeah, yeah, Blockchain's yeah. a very old concept. So that's where you start the history of trading and the history of money. But you said before, I mean, we, we talked about something similar on, on a previous podcast about, and this is what, what amazed me, was the, the whole concept that is kind of accepted now of bartering. You were saying that that actually didn't really take place at all. No, 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 no. And this is, again, I mean, one of the things about being an economist, as, as you get older, is you realise lots of the stuff you actually learned is all nonsense, which is kind of <laughs> very disconcerting, actually. Particularly yeah. if you ended up spending all your life doing this thing. It's, I advise you all not to study economics, by the way, because you learn as you get older that loads and loads of things that we had to parrot when we were kids actually is not true. The, the fascinating one is this idea of barter, right? Mm. So barter is something that economists in the 18th century made up. Okay, yeah. they made up this notion that the world started with a couple of people, a couple of, you know, basically prehistoric people, cavemen, right? Mm. Uh, saying, oh, I wouldn't mind a cow, but what do you have? And the other person says, well, uh, I have two sheep, uh, but he says, well, a cow's worth three sheep, so you've got to wait for three sheep, and then we do we exchange, you do right? a deal. That's not the way the world works. Or give you a cow with a couple I'm, of legs missing. A cow, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that humans started trading with barter is just made up, right? right? It is much, much more likely that humans started with a very, very sophisticated sense of credits and debits, right? Who owns what to who? Back to our femur mm. on the baboon, right? And because we discovered coins, we naturally thought, okay, trading started with coins and before that there was darkness. Yeah. But actually what's much more likely to have happened is that humans had a very, very elevated sense of trade. And the reason they're a very elevated sense of trade is trade actually opens up the world to you, number one. Number two, and I'll tell you about trade in Ireland as well, which is very unusual. Number two, that it took a long, long time for humans to come up with the idea of coins. And coins were just a token to represent things. But if you go way, way back, it's much more likely that we had basically accountancy before we had money. I mean, Explain that. But we had notions of accountancy and balance sheets mm. before we had coins. And the coins were only an iteration, a technology that made trading a little bit more easy. Right, okay. Because the yeah. thing about coins is you can divide them. Mm. So suddenly then if you give, make coins available to people, you make commerce available to more and more people, you can subdivide and subdivide and subdivide, and yeah. then you can get small. So the, uh, the migration from trade to commerce is kind of the history of coins. And, and amazingly as well, in Ireland... Uh, because we have Breton law and we've got extremely good records, people forget that Ireland has amazing records. You know, they always say, you know, when the Free State Army blew up the four courts, we lost all our records. Yeah, yeah, we lost yeah. all our records that were actually recorded by the Brits. But prior mm. to that, we had our own records, yeah. okay? So ancient Ireland has an incredible trove of Breton law scripts, right? And the amazing thing about money in Ireland years ago, and this is, I find it, I find it fascinating, uh, <laughs> is that there was different money for different people. So if I owed you money, right, and you were John Davis, mm. say I'd have to give you back a cow, right? Mm. 
But if I owed you money and you were John Davis, but you were a prince, I had to give you two cows. Proper so order. the extent of the debt and the money we used was not a reflection of what we call universal value, yeah. which is that your money and my money and some very wealthy guy's money are the same. So the pauper and the prince's money are the same. Prior to that, they had a huge trade, except, and it'd be like if you went up to a shop and you said, oh, well, that, uh, I don't know, what, what that, that bottle of, now it's a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc here. Right, right beside right, it. Right. So is it, is it is, I don't know, 15 quid, right? Yeah. And it's 15 quid to you, but I went in, it was 20 quid to me because my status in life, my hierarchy was not as high as you. So in Ireland, you had this. You had to pay more. You had to for... pay more when you're poor, which is why my mother always says that rich people get away with murder. Right, because yeah. rich people actually never pay for anything. Have you noticed that? If you ever go to, it's you true, go yeah. to the West Lower Stand. You, you never stick your hand in your pocket, man. I've never stuck my hand in my pocket in my life. You go to the, you go to a rugby match next week. I think Ireland are playing South Africa, right? Yeah. And you go to the West Lower Stand. Yeah. No doubt, about seventy percent of those fellas didn't pay for their tickets. Oh, oh I have no gifted. doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the richer you are, the more status you yeah. have, the yeah, less yeah. you pay. But that was actually enshrined in our Brehan Law many, many years ago. <laughs> I know, this is just, this is the way we go. This is the way we roll. But to come back to trade, trade and payments, what we're talking about today, are at the epicenter of the human experience. Yeah. You cannot have humanity without trade, without money, without bargaining, without haggling. In fact, even all those words are evolution of the human species, to haggle, to feign, to spoof, all these things, right? Mm. They all come from trading. It's very, very deep within us. And then, but if, then if you look like, so for example, and you, you, you go up to now, like the Greeks then had this thing called the Agora, which is basically what we are here. So the internet is like the Agora, and the Agora was the center of the Greek city. And that was the, the marketplace. That was the marketplace. Yeah. Whereas the fellas before the Greeks, right, used to have like churches and barracks at the center of the city. Okay, saying that's the power base. The Greeks put the market a wee bit like, you know, what we're doing here. They put the market at the center of the city, and that's where all the life came from. And then if you go forward, the Romans did exactly the same yeah. thing. And then during the during the Renaissance, the the Florentines, the Venetians, they all put the market at the center of basically at the center of their world. But it was it was when the when we started living in cities, that's when yeah. The, the market really took hold. And then out of that, all of the kind of democratic institutions kind of came out as well. Yeah, exactly. You don't get, I mean, the interesting thing is you, where, you, where you see democracy, you see huge innovations in what we now call capitalism, not really capitalism, but in buying and selling and trading. So as I've always said, you know, that, that, that to trade, as I've always said, Aristotle said, actually. <laughs> well, you and Aristotle. Well, me on. and Aristotle. I was there sitting, I was sitting in the Acropolis with Aristotle the other day. Uh, Aristotle said, to, to trade is social. It's a social activity. Yeah. So humans have a natural proclivity to want to trade. And this is what we're seeing. The fascinating thing about the internet is well, that it, it kind of released that proclivity. Well, I was going to say, like, to, to bring it up to, to kind of modern day. To jump from Aristotle to, yeah, to, it, yeah. to the internet. I mean, I think Aristotle would have been quite comfortable on the internet, actually. He would have been quite, he was a bit peculiar about money. He didn't, he didn't really fancy it. He thought money had to have physical value. And he couldn't understand usury and rents. Right, and, okay. And, right. But he was coming to terms with it. He had a big head. He was, he was dealing with a lot that afternoon. But so talk to us about the onslaught of the internet and how that has affected trade. Well, if we, if and change we, trade. Well, it's changed the whole thing. I mean, but if you start with the basic idea, 
that humans like to trade. An actual fact, humans love a bargain. Mm. I've never met somebody who doesn't like a bargain. If you think about it, right? Yeah. And, and the humans brag about trading. And we tell our mates that I bought this for tuppence halfpenny and I sold it for four, you know, la, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. So somewhere deep in our psychology is an appreciation of this. And then I think that what most people didn't see at the very beginning of the internet was that the internet was a marketplace. That's all it is. Mm. It's a marketplace for ideas. It's a marketplace for knowledge. You know, in economics, there's nothing you can't find now if you want to go online. So the internet is a marketplace and the problem with markets is always capacity, right? So you open your dandelion market, you have a thousand people come through, that's your capacity. The amazing thing about the internet is it turns economics on its head because economics is always about scarcity. But the internet is about abundance. So no matter what your niche, no matter what you do, you find buyers and sellers. And also it has this extraordinary, what you would call characteristic of, what we call an economic network effects, mm. so that each person on the internet converts another person. So each person is not only a buyer and seller, they're actually a salesman and they're pitching, they're enlisting. So people will go on Square and they'll tell their mates and they'll, so suddenly you have one decision begets another decision begets another decision, which is why these companies are growing so quickly because they're not tapping into economics as we understand it. They're tapping into network economics and network economics is all about how do you deal in a world not of scarcity, yeah. but of complete abundance, where each buyer and seller is converting more and more buyers and sellers all the time? And networks, there's a great book by a guy called Elias Canetti, I think, I've, I think we talked about it before yes. in the podcast, yeah, yeah. called The Power of Crowds. He uh, won the Nobel Prize in about 1981 or 82. Originally fell from Bulgaria, right. Canetti. It's better and than Bernanke then. For he's his better person. than Bernanke, but Bernanke got Bernanke got the Nobel Prize. Kennedy got the Nobel Prize for literature. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, this right. guy got the Nobel pardon. Prize, which is a much because that's a proper prize. Mm. The one for economics is just made up. It's a make yuppie prize. <laughs> but he talks about crowds and the dynamic of crowds. And that's what we're talking about when you talk about things like Square, things about things like online trading. It is this extraordinarily energetic dynamic, which the internet has facilitated. Because what it's done is it's reduced profoundly the bars, the barriers to entry for trade. So, for example, if you come to Grafton Street, God bless it, right? Okay, what's that? Lifestyle sports across the way. I'd say Mr. Lifestyle Sports spends a lot of money for the pleasure of me being able to see his shop here, right? So the barrier to trade on Grafton Street is very, very high. Mm. Right? You need to have a lot of cash in your back pocket yep. to set up your shop here, Right. The barrier to trade on the internet is zero. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit like us in the podcast. The podcast is a function of this new market. And that's precisely what's happening now in retail. So we have circumnavigated that through a thing called podcasting, where the barrier to entry to the game has collapsed. Same thing for online buying and selling. Yeah. As, as you're saying, like the, the, the rents and all that kind of stuff is, is enormous. But there's been a huge shift for a number of reasons from the physical store to online. Yes. And, and one recently was COVID pan, pan, <clears throat> was the COVID he, pandemic. He still has it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That was just a well-timed cough. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a well-timed cough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for effect. Yeah. But the pandemic was a huge boon to online shopping. Yeah. And, and the internet. Yeah, because um, we were all locked up. Exactly. 
And you see one of the weirdest things that people didn't expect in the pandemic, and it's kind of related, was the increase in house prices. Mm. So people thought, okay, we're going to lock down for whatever it is. We're not, you're not going to be able to work. We're going to take your income away from you. We're going to give you a check so you don't go mad. But frankly, you're not allowed out. And everyone said, oh, well, house prices are going to fall. House prices rose. And why did they rise? And they rose because people's expectation of how they were going to live changed. So people said, okay, I'm now going to work from home. Mm. I'm now going to work from a home office. I'm now going to need a little bigger house. I might yeah. go out to the suburbs. I yeah. might need a garden, all that sort of stuff. So the same trends you're seeing in house prices, you also seen in online trading. So what you see is people are at home. And the amazing thing is because people are at home, what we stopped buying were restaurants, bars, hotels, holidays. Yeah. Okay. So that part of GDP collapsed. But what actually went through the roof was real stuff. People started buying gadgets. People bought cars. People started buying motorbikes. Well, I bought a, I obviously bought a, yes, I, I did, suppose yeah. a Vespa isn't really a motorbike. It's a pretend motorbike. But so you see that people shifted their spending away from, let's say, the annual holiday, family holiday, to a piece of kit. Yeah. And then, of course, what happened is those pieces of kit were made in China. So you get this huge, huge compression of supply chains and problems with supply chains. And all of this is as a result of online shopping. Yeah. And of course, the thing about online shopping, the problem with online shopping is that you want everything tomorrow. And that means the supply chain has to really do its Ramp up, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that like e-commerce market grew by 159%. In 2020, it's a lot. No, I, I can imagine that's a, that's a that's a huge number. There's every any any business listening to this would probably be traumatized by a hundred and mm. whatever percent growth, whatever it was. But I mean, it shows you that we are at John a collective tipping point where a certain type of behavior is shifting to another type of behavior. Yeah. Right. So, for example, do you remember the first time mobile phones came out? Only, yes. Only tossers had mobile phones. Yes. Do you remember like some Egypt? With a yeah, thing with a big brick. Yeah, yeah like a yeah, Doc yeah. Martin stuck to his, his head in Café on Seine, yeah. pretending he had a girlfriend on the far side. Right? Shouting his head Shouting off. Shouting his head off, right? So you kind of looked at mobile phones and you said, toss her, yeah. right? So at the beginning, people thought this is not going to take on. But then very gradually, but very significantly, human behavior changed towards these things. Yeah. The phones became smaller, they became more innovative, the batteries became smaller, the screens became bigger, all that sort of stuff. And you have a shift, right? Mm. The same sort of shift is happening now in this world where retail, I, I, I was saying to you, uh, I was in London again during the week and I was in the back of a cab driving around Trafalgar Square up towards Mayfair and out towards Hyde Park, you know, that yeah. incredibly high-end yeah. part of London. The amount of boarded-up retail units, phenomenal, Oxford Street, exactly the same, that basically there is a shift going on in retail. And that shift is away from retail, as in yeah. buying and selling of stuff, and into lifestyle, into leisure, into restaurants, what? into bars, into gyms, all that sort of stuff. So the, the center of cities has been reimagined. Yeah. And of course, the reason it is, is because people are doing most of their transactions online. Or not most. A but higher it's, proportion. It's growing. And, and here's just one stat for you before we, we move on. The revenue in the e-markets, in the e-commerce market, is projected to reach nearly 900 billion in 2022. Yeah, well, I can see that. I mean, but again, the global, if you think the American economy is, is a $22 trillion economy. Yeah. 
So you're still not hitting the trillion yet, if you know what I mean. I mean, you're getting there, but this this seems to me to have a huge amount. The UK is a two and a half trillion dollar economy. Mm. And even the Irish economy is, well, it depends which measure you use. It could be either 50 quid or 400 million. <laughs> Nobody really knows. But let's say somewhere in the middle. No, but but the idea, so, so this is a shift, like the shift to electricity. It's like the shift away from horses to cars. You know, because people yeah. always said, if you forecast what people wanted in 1900, they'd have said faster horses, right? Yeah. But they got cars. And everything that was actually associated with transport changed completely. You know, and you get cars and you get yeah, trucks yeah. and all that sort of demand for rubber, demand for petrol, all that sort of stuff. So I think we are at the lower slopes of something quite monumental. And it's, 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 just, it's just a collective behavioral change. And if you go back to the tosser with the mobile phone, yeah. now to talk to anybody, very, very small proportion of populations do not have some sort of mobile telephony even the older part of the population. So let's look at where we're heading now and where e-commerce is going now. Well, in that case, I think Jason Lawler of Square should tell us, because he's in the business. Hey, guys. How are, How are you? How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming in. Do you like the, do you like the new digs? I love that the digs are fine. Fantastic. Well, we're, we're only, look good, though. We're we're only like hanging out here for, um, for about three weeks. We've got one week left. Um, How's it been? It's been brilliant. We've got five sellers here who work with Square that hopefully have seen a bit of a, an increase in trade over the last couple yeah. of weeks. So it's prime real estate. So we'll see how we go. We might try this in a few other cities around the world as well. So this is the first one we've tried. So this is this is the sort of the pop-up shop. Tell me about the underlying business. What the hell is going on? Yeah. Because you guys have grown from what in Ireland? We had 15 people back in uh, three years ago. We've over 200 now out of Dublin. But I, I love the fact that you started with history, right? Because, you know, I think to talk about the future, you have to go back in time a little bit, right? Because yeah. ultimately I believe that what's driving us today and in the future will be the same thing, this kind of intersection of buyers and sellers, right? And trying to find those connections. And I think what's happened is that, I, th I think a lot about windows, I think a lot about shop window, right? So we're sitting on Grafton Street and we're looking out at a typical retail shop window. And really, when I think about the future, it's about maybe an increase in the number of windows that, that sellers yeah. are looking to get to in order to attract buyers, right? Which is a really basic way of talking about omnichannel, right? But to go back in time, right? So the history has influenced the future. Um, Square started back in 2009 and a really good origin story involving, you know, an independent artist called Jim McKelvey. And Jim was trying to make a sale and uh, couldn't make the sale because he couldn't take card payment. Now this is 2009 right. in the States, right? So you think yeah. that's gotta be a bit more advanced than that. But the, the reality was it wasn't. Right, so Jim went to his buddy who happened to be Jack Dorsey, and Jack Dorsey said, well, if my smartphone can be a map, if it can be a music store, if it can be you know, a, a book library, sure. it can be a payments processing engine. And from that came the first product, right? Now, where I go to on this is about the hypothesis of value. What were they trying to prove? And we're trying to prove that there was an underserved market, right? Yeah. So, so they had these merchants or sellers who were underserved. First product came in. So we started life as a one-product uh, in-person payments company. Exponential growth, almost okay. immediate market fit, right? You know, exponential growth in the States. And today, 13 years later, we're what I would call as a, an omni-channel commerce company. 
And we've done that because we've invested heavily in software, right? But you can get caught up in the semantics of language, you know, omni-channel yeah. commerce. Company, I was about to say, you, right? wouldn't, you wouldn't get in the podcast using words like that. You know, an omni-channel. Omni-channel is lots of channels. Lots of channels, <laughs> right? And so I guess the, the difference between multi and the omni is the fact that you can have multiple channels that never speak to each other, which is where I see the future going, right? So you think about omni, right? So you, we're in store, we're online, right? But what we're trying to do is integrate the two things so that there's connections everywhere, right, when it comes to, to, to selling. Yeah. So I gave this example last week, so I'm going to stick with it, right? Do, do. I seem to be fascinated with the idea of selling eggs, but that's the, that's the example I gave. So I'm going to talk about selling eggs. So Jason starts life as a micro business selling eggs at the farmer's market, and that first product that we designed allowed me to take a payment. And that's all I wanted to do was get paid, right? That was it. And more customers came to me. Um, because my brand was starting to get out yep. there or whatever else. Over time, I found the internet. So I created Jason's Eggs, right? but I still kept the in-store thing going in the farmer's market. But I wanted both of those businesses to connect to each other. And that's effectively what we've been focused on, is this integration piece. So Jason's Eggs online... Is Jason's now Eggs in the market. In the market are now connecting to one another, right? And so it's about... I keep bringing it back to the, to the idea is that there's a number of windows you need to create in order to allow buyers or prospective buyers to look through to enable you to sell, yep. right? But you got to make it easy. Mm. That's the other thing, yeah. right? And so going back to McKelvey, he found it really hard. Just couldn't get online. Couldn't, because the price was too high or the IT was really poor or there was a contract that was... Or he couldn't figure it out himself. He couldn't he figure it out, that, right? Loads of us. But, like, but, what's going on with this app? He's looking at it going, there's a contract for five years. What? How yeah. can I yeah, do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So the intention and, and the value hypothesis was that there was a, an underserved market in America at that time, specifically as related to payments. Yeah. And what's happened is that value hypothesis was proven to be correct, right? And then over time to the advents of technology and, and just, you know, the pandemic being like a, something that happened that's just completely changed the face of the payments industry, right? It has resulted in a need for, for more channels, but for those channels to be connected. Yeah. That's how I think about it. And tell me, you know, when you when you looking forward, right? Because I do think... If you accept the, the idea that we're at this sort of behavioral shift mm. in what people want, it's not just, as you said, they're going online to buy and sell. Yep. But they're looking for something else. What's that extra bit that John and I are trying to figure out to boost the podcast? Are we, John? <laughs> we sure we'll have, we'll be actually We'll be like those Santas in Switzers. <laughs> you remember in the front of Switzers, there'll be Santas. We'll be doing the podcast. I'll try, I'll try to answer that question, yeah. answer that kind of sidebar on it. But look, they, I, I, I don't it's know what... the joy of doing this. It's all I sidebars. I don't know what the secret sauce is. I, I, if I knew that, I'd probably be far wealthier than I am, right? But I do have a point of view that suggests that it's about... And this is probably trite or cliche, but it's, um, it's about simplicity, right? And it's about the connections that you need to build. That, that's how I think about it, right? And I think sometimes we can get caught up in highfalutin kind of language that ultimately confuses people. I still bring it back to history informing the future, yeah. right? The idea that you have a bunch of sellers who want to connect with a bunch of buyers, and there's a number of intersections within which that can happen, yeah. right? And when you look at the future, it might be about having more ways to pay, right? Might mm. want to pay with a card, right? Might want to pay directly from a bank account. Might want to do a direct debit. If you go to Germany, the idea of paying with a credit card is it's, almost- It's amazing, isn't right? it? They do use cash, they won't use a credit card. Yeah. And if you don't have like a, a so forth account to account payment piece, you know, trying to start your e-com business there won't work. And yet if you go mm. a little bit north of Germany where I was last year in Sweden, 
They don't use cash. Yeah. It's all card. It's all card. Like you, you, you don't know what a Swedish krona looks like. Yeah, you can spend yeah, yeah. two weeks in Sweden and you've no idea what the money well, looks like. Well, I have like. to say, I haven't used cash. I, I don't carry cash around in my, my wallet you, anymore. You and Prince Charles. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, yeah. But, but also what I found, I was in uh, the States there a couple of years ago and I was amazed that they're still using checks. Checks are still... Oh, uh, like writing it out? Yeah, and whipping it out and you know, getting the pen out and... And sometimes there's a click-clack machine, you know the old yeah. click-clack yeah, machine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's still the happens. weird thing about the that States, still happens. that at the one level, the United States is very, very, very evolved. Mm. And on the other level, it's incredibly backward. Yeah, the banking system. The banking system is very, well, it's, it's also, the, the banking system was one of these bizarre organic things in the States. So it grew up and there were moms and pops banks and little regional banks, whatever. And as those all fight for the customers we're talking about here, mm. lots and lots of them don't have the money to update their IT sector. So in a way, when you see a bank still using checks, you know the chief financial officer has no money. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. yeah, That's yeah, my yeah. rule of thumb. And that bank's going to go out of business because if the, the CFO has no money, it's going to go out of business. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the interesting thing is that one of the comparative advantages of larger, nimbler, well-financed companies have is they can boost IT spending at this moment and appeal to precisely what Jason's saying, that audience or that buyer who needs the IT, who wants it. Mm. And that's what you're seeing. So when the world changes, all sorts of extraordinary things that you thought you could disguise when the world wasn't changing. It's what Warren Buffett said about markets. He says, it's only when the tide goes out, do you know who's swimming in the nude? Yeah. And it's the same thing now in this sort of change. Mm. So look, from my point of view, I think some of the future is happening now. You go down to Japan, QR codes, you know, if you try to start a business in Japan without being able to accept a QR code, they don't really exist here, right? So you could see something like that coming. Except for menus. That's a, that's a growing well, thing. Well, that's a growing thing. And that's but, a COVID yeah. thing too. But yeah. that's going to turn into a payment at some point yeah. here. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you'll see that coming. The that's other thing, yeah, yeah. The, the other thing you'll see probably is without getting too technical, is the impact of regulation in the payment space, particularly in Europe, right? So there's a directive out called the Payment Service Directive Number 2. First one was so interested, wrote a second one. Yeah, right? yeah, just wait till you got number 22. <laughs> number 3 is going to yeah, be yeah. a killer. It's a shocker. It's, great. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like a Netflix series. <laughs> you know? but, but PSD2, as it's uh, you know, commonly referred to, is now allowing for a piece called open banking, right? So in the industry, the idea is that if Jason is selling these eggs online, I can actually pull money money from David's account straight into my bank account just on the basis of one technical permission that's been granted, right? So that's not far away. Mm. In fact, that's happening quite a lot, right? So you're starting to see some shifts, I think, like that. But ultimately, it comes back to core principles of just want to make it easy to buy off you and please, and to sell to and, you. And please make it easy to sell to me, mm. right? So it's that kind of thing. I think we were chatting about concept stores earlier, the idea that you could come in, come into a store like this, try on a jacket, not buy it here, but walk up the street and just click to pay on your... Yeah. Right? Is that the future? It's, it's looking like it's going to become more of a thing, right? We're seeing a bit of that in retail right now. That's really good. So, so it'll you know, become like showrooms, shops or showrooms. It's kind of like to. that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that kind of idea. And so you'll start to see... A, bit more innovation in that space I feel mm. I think it's where and how you buy will change and alter slightly and how you pay for it will change and alter slightly but what doesn't change is the connection it's the basic transaction yeah. as well. so the intersections are changing but the connections are not right I still need to buy from you and you still want to sell to me 
it's just that there's probably more uh, a wider breadth now of how you pay and where you pay it kind of thing is what I'd say. John, I think we should leave it there. It is fascinating. I mean, you start with the Ishango bone yeah. 19,000 years ago in Congo. We end up, I was actually loving the idea, Jason, you were saying that uh, virtual shops are, will come in because I'm one of these men, there are many men out there who are terrified of shop assistants. <laughs> No, I am. I, I can, I can stand I think up. Terrified of you too, no, 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 John. I can stand up and talk to a thousand people. Lots off the top of my head. Uh, no anxiety. You put me in a shop, and I am a bag of nerves. Security. I'm a bag of nerves. What would Sir like? Sir would like to leave right now. But you know, no, I don't want to try it on. So this is manna from heaven for me. We are going into a beautiful future where I don't ever have to shop properly. All is good. Jason Lawler of Square, everybody here at Square, thank you all very much indeed. It's a beautiful shop. And uh, John and I, may, we could be let back in on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Bring back the dandelion. Bring back the dandelion. Okay, talk to you next week. Before we go, we'd like to thank Square and Jason Lawler for helping make this chat happen. And if your company is looking for anything from payments to inventory management, it's all there. So go check out square.com. 